Welcome to episode 16 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton on this Friday the 13th. We are not necessarily a superstitious podcast, but we are a cursed podcast, Stoughton. So what do you think is going to happen on this, <laughs> the Friday the 13th episode of Blue Jays Happy Hour? Who are we cursing this week? Oh, I, you know, that would, I don't want to even put that out into the world, really, to be honest with you. I didn't know it was Friday the 13th. Uh, I'm not a big calendar guy. Personally, uh, that should come to the surprise of literally no one. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I'm like, I'm like, just don't say a Blue Jays player. I don't know. Maybe it just means a loss to the stupid Mariners, um, which uh, at this point, based on how people reacted to last night's uh, loss, that would probably be uh, sufficient enough to count as a curse. Yeah, at this point, I mean, the, the value of those wins and losses are so high uh, I'll, I'll just quickly put in just, you know, Julian Merriweather setback because that's like an easy <laughs> placeholder uh, yeah. for that. Um, and especially with some optimism with him. And we'll talk about that later. It is interesting. You know, people are living and dying by every win and loss right now, which makes sense because, oh, yeah. you know, last time we talked, the Fangraphs odds were something like 44%. Since then, the Blue Jays have gone four and three and they've actually come down. And that's because, like, the other teams around them are playing pretty well. And also, time is so much not on their side. Like, there's a real mm-hmm. sense of urgency. We're sort of nearing that midpoint of August. So every lot, you know, the difference between splitting with the Angels and, you know, taking a 3-1 and one against the Angels is incredibly significant. And it's funny because baseball is always like, it's a long season. Don't overact to one game. But we're getting down to the point where, you know, the one game matters to such a degree that... I think it's okay to give people the license to overreact. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is it. We're doing the thing. This is the thing. They're they're chasing a playoff spot in in August and mid August. Like uh, the thing that we didn't have for twenty two years or whatever it was before twenty fifteen and sixteen, and then that disappeared immediately after that. Um, so yeah, that I'm I'm fine with that, and and it is, uh, you know, their their hopes are on a knife's edge, and they. You know, each win does matter, and each like the scoreboard watching matters too. Like you know, people were pumped when, well, you know, people were watching that Field of Dreams game. Apparently, I did not, but uh, <laughs> but but like Tim Anderson walking off the Yankees, uh, that was huge. That's that's a thing, um, and you know, yeah, like you say, the odds have gone down, but they have, you know, with the the homestand that they had, uh, they they've clawed back some ground, and it's it, it much more realistic now than it was, you know, a week before the trade deadline, I think, even if the playoff odds maybe don't re- reflect it. It feels good. Uh, I was looking at the schedule, this, the month of September, or like their last, I guess, 27 games are 13 against either the Yankees or Rays, which is a problem, but it does put their destiny in their own hands a little bit. But then the other 14 uh, are against either the Orioles or Twins, which uh, is, is better news. Yeah, I mean, and the next little stretch, too, is significant, right? We've got the Mariners, then you've got the Nationals and the Tigers. Like, that's a huge slate of eight games. And mm. coming away with anything less than five and three is a big problem. And six and two is kind of what you want to get out of that, ideally, and then whatever, you know. Yeah, but, absolutely. And it's, do, it's doable, but... Yeah, like, those teams aren't baseball, good. Yeah. <laughs> those teams yeah. are not good at all. Um, yeah, like you said, it's very doable, but it is... 
um yeah like yeah, the split with the angels that's not a good outcome anymore like no. you can't tread water anymore and it, like even looking not at, against a team that has one good player yeah. even though he is <laughs> well he's two good players good. basically yes he is yeah uh, to be fair to him but <laughs> no like you look up at the standings and the, i think the blue jays talking today their last 10 is like seven and three and you're like that's great and then you look down and it's like oh so are the yankees so it you know it's tough like you got to catch the yankees and the red Sox and those teams you know, talk about strength of schedule. The Blue Jays' strength of schedule right now, going forward, is 493. That's really beneficial for them. But mm-hmm. you know who's is 487? Is the Red Sox. Yeah. So you need. It's not enough to sort of win and be good. Like the Blue Jays have to be great from here on out, and they can be. And we've seen, like we watched this homestand, we've seen how great this team can be with the starting pitching and the way the offense supports it, and like, you know, just enough out of the bullpen. This can this team can produce a great stretch, but uh, it really it really has to. And this next chunk of eight games is one of them that they just can't afford not to capitalize on. It would be nice if some of those teams ahead of them would stop winning games. Also, though, I mean, I know the Red Sox have a little bit, uh, but that would make their lives a lot easier. I know I was looking back and I've seen people on Twitter talking about you know the 2015 comparisons and how they're sort of on pace you know with that 2015 team, but that team only won 93 games and. Uh, which is, you know, a great amount of games to win, but not, you know, there's there's real good teams around. And, and I think uh, if you look at what happened that year, uh, the teams between them and the division title uh, around this time were not doing what the Red Sox and the Yankees and the, the Rays are doing and the A's are doing as well. Um, though I, I'm wrong about the Red Sox. They've been, they've been sliding a little bit. But, you know, you could only, you could, you got to control what's in front of you, I guess. That That's how they would put it. And, uh, I mean, this is what we signed up for. This is, this is the fun bit. <laughs> so, so it's, it's, uh, uh, it's always sort of wild to be like, oh yeah, finally, the good part of sports. I'm riddled with anxiety for <laughs> yeah. every single moment. Yeah. I mean, and people talk about, you know, meaningful September baseball. That's the cliche, right? But the promise mm. isn't like, oh, playoffs and then playoff success. The promise is you get a shot. Like mm. that shot may not pan out. It may not pan out for the Blue Jays. Like it's, like you said, it's kind of at a knife's edge and it's in the 40% right now. I'd probably say maybe it's higher than that. Just some of the way that they're playing and the boost they've come got from coming home. But you're you're putting all these cards on the table to have a chance, not to you know ride in smoothly and you know like the Houston Astros know they're making the playoffs or uh, you know the Milwaukee Brewers know they're going to make the playoffs or the White Sox or whatever. That's not what the Blue Jays. Well, the Brewers got that rowdy Tellez kid, so obviously. Yeah, top ten hitter in the bigs. <laughs> Happy for him. Ha- you Happy know. For him. Whatever. We'll Richards is great. Richards is great. It's he fine. has been it's huge. Fun. Yeah. He, yeah. He actually has been like a big difference maker. Yeah. I did want to kind of start today on our sort of Blue Jays mascot, which is Alec Manoa. Because it's funny that when we start talking about Manoa, you know, we knew we were a little bit over the top on him. And even when we had our over under episode, we talked about like, okay, realistically, let's put a number to it. And it was sort of like, is he going to be a league average starter or not? And then he was kind of that as he started. But the way it splits out, and it's because he had an amazing start this week. But if you take his first five starts, you're looking at a 4.18 ERA, 6.18 FIP, less than five innings pitched per start, and seven home runs against. Like, we were excited about a lot of things, and justifiably so. And he had kept hard contact down to some degree, although other than the home runs, obviously. Like, his X ERA wasn't as bad as that FIP. But then if you look at his last six starts... 
We're talking about one five three ERA, two three three FIP, <laughs> and one home run against in thirty five innings. Now the the home run thing, there's a little bit of flukiness to that, and there'll, there'll be some regression there and whatnot. But the whole can Manoa be like a guy who holds his own and is a solid fourth starter? Like we were happy with that premise. Like oh, that would be great if he kind of holds down a back rotation spot with competence. And very quickly, it's been okay. Is this guy someone with actual front of the rotation potential? And he certainly like looked like that this week. He sure did. Yeah, no, it uh, it's pretty special. I, you know, you never know where this stuff is going to go. A year ago, we like this. We thought that this would be Nate Pearson doing this, but um, yeah, it look it looks real good. It looks like it's. Uh, it looks like it's legit. He's getting big leaguers to swing and miss a bunch and, you know, not, not allowing hard contact. I mean, the, just the, the, what was it? The, he was close to tying or setting that record about uh, 11 straight starts with the, with like four fewer hits and more than three innings or whatever. Uh, yeah. Those kind of fun facts are always so tortured because like you can just bit. move <laughs> your sliders around a little bit and figure out exactly. Not that that is, you know, it's not impressive, but it's just those ones are always funny to me. Where yeah, it's that, like it's the best guy who did this in this exact amount of time, but like not only was it four hits, but it was also more than six strikeouts or whatever it was. It's uh, yeah, it's not exactly you don't you don't set out your season to uh, to set those kind of records or you know. Um, but no, I I I don't know what to say about it to be honest. Other than it's been really awesome and and it looks like he's for real. And uh, until that stops being the case, it, you know. You have to wonder how it, you know. We're, we were just talking about how their playoff odds are not that great, but I mean, the playoff rotation. He's he's nominally their fourth starter. I don't know who you remove from a rotation, um, but man, he he looks like somebody that is real, real important to this team right now. Yeah, he's one of when you talk about sort of the playoff odds and what guys will be projected for. Like he's one of those sort of projection busters who like a, a system isn't going to build in that type of you know the rapid mm. advancement that he's making. I mean, what stands out to me right now is just like his velocity has even gone down in a couple of starts. Uh, the pitch mix is basically the same, although he was basically you know a lot of fastballs against the Angels in particular, but. You know, the one home run against seven home runs against, like, it's often really hard to measure command. Like, statistically, there isn't a good way to do it unless you get, like, really, really advanced black box type of stats, which we don't have access to. And so home runs is often a good proxy for that because when you're giving up home runs, it normally means that you're letting balls leak out over the plate into the dangerous areas and stuff. And that's the thing with Manoa. Like, of his last few starts, I don't know if his stuff is necessarily better. It's not, like, a different approach. But he's commanding it so much better. Mm-hmm. Like at the beginning, it really was kind of a scatter shot when he came up the first few starts, and that's kind of what he did at AAA too, to some extent. To be honest, and we're kind of like, okay, maybe oh, the yeah. stuff is good enough that it's okay that he's not placing it very particularly because he just can blow people away. And his velocity isn't necessarily good enough to do that, although he's got the spin and some deception too. But now it's not like he's nailing his spots. Like he's not Ryu. But there's a big difference in his ability to, you know, not leave pitches and, you know, totally the wrong plate, like not leave the slider up and like not throw those completely non-competitive high fastballs that there's no way anyone's going to swing at. There's still some of that, but that's really come down. And that's what's impressed me is that it just seems like he's got a better handle of his arsenal right now than when he first came up. And even yeah, and I, think, absolutely, and I think that's something that 
can continue to improve over time, which is like kind of the exciting bit. You know, the stuff is exciting and seeing it work against big leaguers is exciting. But yeah, that was, that's what it was. Exactly what you said. You know, you're coming in and you're kind of, it is scattershot and you, it, you were hoping and we all, and it worked that, you know, he could, he could get by doing it that way and, you know, have that development in the big leagues where he gets better at, at commanding and, and we're starting to see that. I mean, I think he's in a good place for it, you know, with the, uh, you know, with the full resources of the big league staff and those, you know, the Pete Walkers and Matt Bushmans and everything who have done, you know, they've managed to get Robbie Ray to throw strikes, which is like a miracle. So, uh, so like, yeah, I, I think that that's, the, that is, has definitely been the difference. I think the one, the one home run, I seem to recall who hit that too, which is, uh, you know, not, yeah, he's been be known to do that. Yeah. About there. Um, but yeah, uh, you know it, that that I think is what makes it exciting. He, uh, you know, if he could throw that, if he if that stuff continues to work the way that it has, and he can command it better, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. It really it really feels like that. And this is a guy. I feel weird saying that, but then I also remember you know Keith Law being like, "This is the guy who he thought was the best pitcher in the draft that year, or the be- at least the best college pitcher in the draft." And you know, that's that's premium talent. Like that's not that's not just a guy. Uh, so with that kind of pedigree, it makes you feel good about where this could be going as well. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a good point too. He's not someone who's had, who's kind of moved through the major, through the minors quickly and had kind of one great professional season, uh, in 2021 because of 2020 getting wiped out and 2019 being pretty limited. He's someone who had that draft pedigree, who had that prospect pedigree. This is someone people have liked for a long time and he's showing up. And on this show, we've talked a lot about those sort of building blocks and the potential next waves behind the Bo'u and Vladi. And right now, I don't think there's a compelling reason to believe that he isn't another building block. I know that health is always going to be a factor with pitchers, and you never know when someone's arm falls off. But it's been a while since the Blue Jays had a pitcher that, you know, it's probably been since Stroman that they had a pitcher. Mm-hmm. I was this Like, I was... Never as confident as Sanchez, and I know that he ha- did have that one brilliant season. Um, but you know, personally, I didn't have that belief in him just because of his inability to control the ball, which was ultimately a big problem for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, since Stroman, I don't think they've had a young pitcher that I've felt the way about that Manoa has made you feel over the course of this year, especially with the way he's improved. Yeah, and I mean, maybe it's unfair to always bring you know Pearson into it, but the, but the, he was he was that guy, but he never had put it together in anywhere close to this sort of way, and uh, and the health thing has just been such a, a, a disappointing setback for I'm sure him more than anyone else. Um, but yeah, you feel real good about Manoa, and Pearson is a, is still a wild card out there, um, but it's it's a good place to be, you know, as an organization, and it's it's weirdly better than you would have thought, you know, six months ago even. And a little Manoa family fun fact, because we kind of got invested in the Manoa family last week when we had David Singh on the show, is that his brother just made the jump to double A, Eric Manoa. So uh, we're getting closer potentially to having multiple Manoas in the major leagues, which is good. Uh, that's just good, fun entertainment. I think that I, I'm i sure Eric would have the same type of compelling cheering section and would be... no in, doubt. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't think he's quite the physical monster that Alec is, but uh, I'm sure he's not tiny either. I don't have I don't have the measurements in front of me, but if I had to guess, <laughs> I'd guess yeah. that he's not uh, Marcus Stroman's size. So, sure. if Manoa is sort of the bright spot this week, the other side of that coin has got to be Vladdy, and you know some of Vladdy's struggles 
have been maybe overstated, I think, to some degree in the sense that he's still been an effective hitter since the All-Star break. Some people are sort of treating it like he's fallen off a cliff. Mm-hmm. He has fallen off a cliff in the context of like, you know, that the Bryce Harper season that was the model that he was following or whatever. He's not on that path anymore. He's been significantly worse in recent weeks. What are you seeing with uh, with the Vladdy downturn right now? Yeah, it's. I mean, if I if I could fix it, I you know I would be paid much more than I am. You know, uh, but but it. I don't know if part of it's fatigue. Uh, you know, he did get hit on the hand, but I think these struggles have started before that. Um, and I, you know, maybe sometimes these things snowball. I mean, you can definitely see in the field he's been. You know, missed a couple balls there going back from first base uh, in the Angels series, uh, which is uncharacteristic of the way he played for most of the season, which was, you know, just like saving guys the whole time. And and, and I don't know. I, I heard someone suggest, you know, maybe it's uh, if, if it's pressure, you know, to continue to be as successful as he was at the start. And I, there, there can be many things, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Do you see anything in the swing? I know it hasn't, you know, he hasn't been... I mean, he's been rolling over on balls more, and it's been more the 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 ground. I don't know where the ground ball rate has gone. You know, I, I'm just, just anecdotally, it feels like uh, we're seeing a little bit more of that, Vladdy. But also, it's so weird because it's like I think his weighted runs created plus is like 113 since the the start of July, basically. Or uh, I think that's better. I wrote, a, I tweeted or, or wrote about that, uh, which is you know, it's like oh wow, he's in a slump. It's like he's 13 percent better than. The rest of the league and he's like he's still really good and he's 20, 22 years old like it is all sort of like within context the the quote-unquote struggles but um but yeah it's it's noticeable it's there he's definitely not in the lock as locked in as he was uh earlier in the season there's sort of yeah there's kind of two sides of it like one of it is sort of the quasi scientific side when i like look at like what's going on or whatever and one thing that really stands out to me is just he's chasing a lot more. Like he's uh, he's not commanding the zone as well. Mm-hmm. And when you're a guy like Vladdy, whose bat to ball skills are so good, that some like for a lot of other guys, like for example, if you took, I don't know, let's say Randall Grichuk, uh, and he started chasing a bunch more, what you would end up with is a ton of strikeouts because he would be chasing pitches out of the zone and be missing those pitches. What's happening mm-hmm. with Vladdy, I think, is he's chasing more. But because he's got the great bat to ball, he's making a lot of contact outside the zone. And then that's resulting in more dribblers and things like that. Like his strikeout rate hasn't really gone up significantly. His walk rate's gone down. Not hugely, but it's just, for me, I see him chasing. And that's when he gets in front of those balls and whatnot. Like you said, if I knew exactly what it was and had the ability to fix it, uh, I'd be worth, my services would be worth a lot more on the open market. But (laughs) that's that's one thing that I see with him. Um, that stands out and then the other side of it is like the totally non-scientific side where he seems like a guy who's so loose generally and like effective when he's loose and when you know when he tightens up and he seems to struggle there can be some snowballing like I remember when mm-hmm. he started his major league career um, he didn't get off to a great start and it was a long time coming for that first home run to happen like I remember we were on first home run Vladdy watch and I think that that, you know, he puts a lot of pressure on himself because he's always been su- incredibly successful his entire life at this. And I, d- I do think he's someone who can be a bit of a vibes guy where when he's happy and he's loose, the game comes easy to him. And then when it doesn't for a bit, um, it can be a bit jarring. And, you know, he's still young. He's still kind of growing the mental side of his game as well. 
that's probably something that will get better with over time. But you do see him fall into these holes and get frustrated, which is such a contrast mm. to him normally where he's so happy-go-lucky and smiling and dancing and having a good time. Yeah, I think that's that's well said. And then yet, and then yet, you know, the the Vladdy of the first half kind of goes away a bit, and then George Springer shows up, hitting like pretty much exactly, you know, being as productive, uh, which has been real fun. Uh, not to not to take away from our our you know tortured Vladdy talk, but uh, but it's it's very it's weird how it's almost like they just that has reversed. Yeah, they switch places. It's uh, yeah, the monsters type of talent steal situation. <laughs> oh, and you get the multiple player of, like player of the week is a stupid award that doesn't need to exist. But when mm-hmm. you get two of those in a row, it's a pretty good indication that uh, you're doing something right. And that kind of leads into the the philosophical question I had for you. I, I haven't had a philosophical question for you for a while, but I was thinking about Springer and Vladdy. And sort of exactly how you said, how they've kind of crossed paths right now. And my question is, if you had to have one of them taken at bat to with your life on the line, and that I'm going to say not that at bat's not tomorrow, because if it's tomorrow, okay. I think you're going to just take Springer. This at bat is in early October. The Blue Jays have made the playoffs. It's against a totally like nondescript pitcher who has no specific characteristics. Vladdy or George Springer, who would you want taking that at bat? Is this October of this year? October 2021. I think that's enough time. For, I mean, I don't know. You can disagree. I think that's enough time to assume that Vladdy will be like not actively in a funk. Right. Yeah. I. I mean, look. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that I believe Vlad's not going to get out of it, but I think I have to take Springer at this point. Um, just because, I mean, if the, if the issues are physical, which I don't, you know, I'm not well versed enough to, to assess that. Uh, but you know, if it's just that he's, you know, he's, again, he's, he's young. He hasn't, he hasn't done 162 before. Uh, he obviously did a ton of work in the off season. Um, and if it's just sort of the grind is getting to him, then I'm, I'm probably more comfortable with the guy who's done it before. Also pretty good history for Springer and, uh, the month October? of October. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, what was interesting to me is I was kind of, I was looking at rest of season projections because that sort of reflects what, you know, Zips, just to use Fangraphs one, thinks their true talent is to some extent. And so mm-hmm. like Guerrero Jr. right now, his rest of season for Zips is 143 WRC plus and Springer is 141. So like they basically see <laughs> those okay. see those guys as being, you know, from this point on or like kind of where they're at from a true talent perspective, the same guy, not exactly the same shape of production, but like a little bit um, maybe I think it's more power for Springer, more on base for Vladdy. I think I'd ultimately take Vladdy just because of, yeah, just kind of my level of belief in, in his talent. Like I, he's shown he can be sort of for a stretch, you know, a pretty significant stretch the most dominant offensive player in the game. And although Springer, yeah, I don't think Springer's ever done that for as as long as Vladdy did that this season. Like for a full yeah. half of the season, be sort of the best hitter in baseball. Um, and, you know, Vladdy's still, you know, theoretically getting better and stuff. But, you know, Springer's been incredible to watch. I think, to be honest, oh, yeah. a lot yeah. of people didn't realize when they got Springer um, like Blue Jays fans, they, I think a lot of people thought of him as maybe the third wheel to like Altuve and Correa, 
and Springer was kind of the other guy. But over the last couple of years, like 1920, he was a top 10 hitter in baseball and definitely the best one of those Astros. And I think, yeah, because he's sort of part a cog in that machine, especially that machine having some dubious reputation that's well-earned. <laughs> yes. uh, I think that people maybe didn't who had, didn't look at it closely didn't realize just how good Springer is, and uh, I don't think anyone is having trouble conceptualizing that now. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's like, I, you know, even me, I'm just, I'm surprised at how much better he is than, I, like, you know, you see the numbers on the page, you know, it's just consistent, good production uh, out of him. And obviously he's on a bit of a heater right now, but like, yeah, I, I, I knew it was, I knew it was great. I knew he was a great player, but seeing it up close is a, is just a different thing. You know, I, I had watched some Astros games over the years, obviously, but uh, just seeing him day in, day out, obviously with the way, with the vibes aspect of this team, uh, that's also very good, um, you know, and it has, he's fit in there well, but uh, but yeah, a fun fun guy to watch uh, to a degree that I don't think I really appreciated until seeing it every day up close. Yeah. Up close, up close on my TV. <laughs> up close-ish, up in the same province uh, <laughs> yeah. as it. Yeah, I mean he's he's so he's so aggressive in the zone and so patient out of the zone at times. Like it looks like sometimes he's got like the best of the Bichette just letting that swing absolutely eat and the Vladdy patience and it's uh that, that's something that Atkins was talking about this week. I think a couple times I wrote about his uh his radio hits the other day and like or maybe it was even earlier, but he, but him just t- talking literally about that, about the the striking a balance between aggression and selectivity, and and uh, how how Springer it, it does that just about as well as anybody. And I, you're absolutely right, and I, you can you can literally see it. Yeah, and there was a piece at Fangraphs about the Blue Jays' sort of selectivity and aggression uh, the other day. And on first pitches, Springer had the biggest difference in the league of swinging for the first pitch in the zone and out of the zone so I don't I'm not quoting the numbers exactly right but I think in the zone he'll swing like 60% of the time and out of the zone it's something like seven like it, he's just so locked in yeah. like if this is if it's a good pitch like I'm 100% willing to go for it but I'm not gonna be cheated into swinging for something dumb um, which is a yeah it's a good it's a fun thing to see it's and it's a I mean it, it's interesting to me like to because there's been the you know the little lineup tweaks and there was some lineup talk you know that that to me makes sense why he has been you know good as a, a leadoff hitter if he just has that in him right he's not the guy who is like okay I need to see this guy throw a bunch of pitches I need to really you know I'm not saying Springer doesn't rely on preparation because obviously he does but but just to have just to have that natural ability um, I think probably I think maybe helps him in that role, and we've definitely seen him excel in that role, and that's obviously been what he's done in his career too, uh, which is real nice. I have more leadoff home runs. I'm fine with that. Yeah, as uh, you know, we saw him a little bit in the fourth and fifth spot in the lineup, and you know, fourth he could definitely theoretically fit, but you know, he's back in the leadoff hole. That's what he's done for most of his career, and I think the Blue Jays fans are going to see him in the leadoff hole for many, many years. So it's pretty yeah. cool to have that part of your team kind of totally locked in. Um, another thing, just getting off Springer, that happened this week, I think it's worth going over, is the way the rotation sort of sorted itself out in the way that it does. Normally it's, you know, inj- between injury and poor performance, a surplus of pitching can never last for long. 
and uh, this one didn't. Ross Stripling down with the oblique. You know, that's a nightmare injury. We've seen it with Julian Merriweather. Back in the day, we saw it with Brett Laurie. Like, the timetables for that are, you know, wildly varied. You never know. I, I know. I don't really consider Stripling someone who's going to necessarily contribute going forward at any point this season. I don't know what his timeline uh, literally is, but those injuries are just so difficult. And so now that, that Matt Stripling bullpen debate is over, which... To be honest, it seemed a bit silly that they were like, oh, let's put Stripling in because he knows how to be a reliever. Like, there were some quotes like that. <laughs> right. And yeah. it's like, do you think the the Dodgers give a shit if their guys have experience as a reliever? Like, when they end a season with, like, eight good starters or whatever, <laughs> as, they, yeah. as they normally do, they just shove them into the bullpen because they know, oh, you're a starter. It's easier to be a reliever. You'll be fine. It's not like, oh, what is in your background and what, what are you comfortable with? Like... I would like Matt's. Um, I've said it before. Like I thought, Matt's had some potential bullpen utility, whereas Stripling's was, um, I don't think that exciting. But it right. really, it really kind of goes to show how crucial the Barrios addition is. Because I mean, you could say like, would they be at even this point if they hadn't got him? Maybe not. Um, in terms of sort of the momentum and also what he provided in his first couple of starts. But if he wasn't on the team now and they had just lost Stripling, like. That would be as silly as it sounds because we don't think of Stripling as this great player, but he was producing at a very high level. That mm. might have been kind of a quasi-death blow for the Blue Jays' chances in an alternate history where they don't have Barrios. Yeah, that's. Uh, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's some... I don't have like no hope for Thomas Hatch, and you know he provided some utility last year, but... Uh, you know we're getting the Jays are getting to a point, especially when they add a guy like Barrios, that that that's uh that that kind of talent is not is not as important, I don't think anymore, and is not it doesn't look as great as it did when you're sort of in more of a building mode. And I know you know adding one guy doesn't change that, and they you know, but I don't think a lot of Thomas Hatch starts down the stretch as well as having Mats in the rotation. Uh, yeah, that would have been. Not ideal, uh, you know. Obviously, they would have soldiered on and and would wouldn't have acted like that was a death blow. But that would have been a big blow, I think, absolutely, if they didn't get that extra starter. Um, and Brios, like you say, I mean, against the Angels, that was not that was not ideal. But uh, <laughs> but he's obviously an excellent pitcher and, and showed as much uh, in the first couple of starts. One thing too that. I'm not sure people are giving enough credit to is that Matt's has been good lately. Like yes. Yes, in his yes. last five starts, he's got a 2.92 ERA and a 2.89 FIP. There have been a couple of shorter outings. One of them was during the doubleheader, so it's kind of changes the shape of how many innings you want a guy to throw. But I think a lot of people were sort of looking forward to the idea of Matt's getting dropped out of the rotation, and I understand why. But if I'm a Blue Jays fan tomorrow or like going forward, I'm not exactly terrified by the idea of Matt's starting a game, especially if it's not against a, you know, a great lineup. Obviously he's not going to be your favorite guy to see on the mound, but there was this, you know, the sense of pessimism surrounding Matt's that I thought was even maybe a little bit overblown at the time. And I think people need to readjust themselves a little bit and realize that, especially for a back end starter, Matt's is kind of fine. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, I was more, I would been, I would have been more inclined to to go with Stripling if they had to make a hard choice, like even as recently as a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, these last few starts, uh, even the one against uh, against the Angels was, uh, have been fine. 
and you're right yeah more more than fine and i think uh that is something that people sort of battle with it's like you know the, the what is a fifth starter it's like the, the the bar is pretty low and he is pretty easily crossing it especially lately yeah i, I think people are inclined to believe that you're you know you've got this five person rotation and that the even the fifth one needs to be good and that's just it's not realistic from a team building perspective in terms of being able to afford that many guys or being able to develop that many guys I know I said like the Dodgers do it and you know the Padres have a great rotation and the White Sox like it's not it's possible but only it very rarely are you going to have that kind of quality rotation depth nor normally you have quantity rotation depth you've got Thomas Hatches and Anthony Kays and stuff like that in reserve and you're hoping to survive those innings so Matt's is he's playing at a better than survival uh level which uh wasn't necessarily the case before but I think it's it's something that deserves a little bit of recognition that he is yeah. not killing this team. And also the other side of that coin is they have the four starters ahead of him are really damn good. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and another guy kind of in that role, in the role of kind of being overshadowed by the other ones, but doing well, that is starting to get a little bit of shine this week. And I think deserves more is it's a little bit of a Teoscar Hernandez appreciation moment because of mm. just, he's been on this ridiculous heater and, it looked like he could have been a third AL player of the week after Springer had done it twice. I don't think he's going to do that now. Um, but it's interesting because when a guy gets an all-star nod, it's hard to say that he's not appreciated. Um, but Teoscar Hernandez, he's just, you know, he's behind those top four guys in people's minds, you know, Springer, Vladdy, Sammy and Bo, rightfully so, especially considering his defensive limitations. But I was kind of digging up some stuff on him. And since he returned from AAA in 2019, so he kind of had that time in Buffalo and he sort of had to figure himself out, he's come back and his OPS is 24th in all of baseball. So this is a period of close to two years. And mm -hmm. the guys above him, Semyon, Yelich, and Guriel, the guys below him, like Max Muncie, Kyle Schwarber, J.D. Martinez, and Pete Alonso, like, you're talking about stars and stars. Yeah. Some of those stars, like Pete Alonso, is like a first baseman. Like some of these stars aren't uh, like two way guys and they're stars because they do it all. Like some of those guys are bat first slash only stars. <laughs> and, uh, and Hernandez is right in with them. And I think it's one of those things where I was thinking about like if Hernandez played for a different team, the one that came to my mind, and it's just random. I was just thinking of a fairly good, well-known team that needs offense where his bat would not be buried behind other people. But if, if he were a Met, like, would he be famous nationally as like a, <laughs> as a, like a player that baseball fans know about? Like, wouldn't he be? He's an, ex like, he's, I think he'd have to be like, he's an, ex yeah. he's an exciting player. He can run a little bit. He hits big home runs. He actually is making a lot more contact this year, close to a 300 hitter um striking out a little less and then he's got this fun personality as well like it, it is weird he just it seems like he's kind of buried in the blue jays ecosystem and he deserves a little bit better because if he were somewhere else i've got a, he does have some of these star qualities he does he absolutely does and it's i was looking into some of those numbers like you were as well uh you know i do i think he slumped in in june like i think if you look at his splits that 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 that, that was tough and then that maybe sort of uh, you know, I know he was the all-star, but that was also sort of, he was the fit, he was voted in by the fans and that maybe not tarnishes it, but maybe, I don't know what, I don't know if he'd have been on the all-star team if not for that, not to say he wasn't deserving, but it, that may have just broken a different way. 
Um, but yeah, he absolutely. I think the I think that the little slump in June was like the only uh, the only month of the last two calendar years where he had a, a WRC plus below. Like I think there was one that we, where he was like ninety six, and I think the June was like a, like in the seventies. Uh, and then every other month has been like star level. Like and maybe he's still. Uh, gets that sort of streaky uh, reputation a bit, which, you know, two years shouldn't necessarily undo that. But he's, you know, he is right back to proving why he's uh, he's so valuable. And, and this week has been really fun to watch him uh, uh, get that shine a bit. Because, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, if he was on the Pirates, he'd be like, he's going to be their lone all-star for the next seven years. Yeah, I mean, last year there was a little bit of Blue Jays broadcast pumping some MVP vibes on Hernandez that it was pretty premature. <laughs> and uh, I definitely wouldn't have supported that. But he is someone who it, it it just seems like he's hurt a little bit. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he what level of fame he aspires to or whatever. But he is someone who it feels like he's hurt a little bit by the context of being on the Blue Jays because he kind of melds into the background where it wouldn't be for someone else. And mm. I think he's also someone who people maybe don't realize is coming up for a contract pretty soon. Like he's got two years of arbitration after this season. Like this off season is the sort of time when you would, if you want to lock down Teoscar Hernandez, it might be the time to do it because you have a little bit of leverage with two years of control. And because his first year of arbitration, he makes in the four millions, like those numbers aren't going to get huge. They they could get significant, but they're not going to get massive because he's already on this track. So you have some leverage there in that he's not going to make a ton of money in the next two years. So if you extend him, you can say, listen, you're going to make way more money in the next couple of years than you would have through arbitration. And then in exchange, what you're giving us back is a couple more years of control out the back that are maybe a little bit less expensive than he would have been as a free agent. But his case is pretty interesting in terms of like, do you want to invest in this player? And the reasons to say no seem to have shrunken considerably over the last sort of 24 months. I think so. Yeah. And I, I think, I think they, they, and I as well, I are probably encouraged by the defense, uh, which, you know, is still not great, but uh, is, is an area where I think, I think it can be improved and could continue to improve. And we've definitely seen improvement. I mean, uh, just literally year to year from where it was like, he was an absolute disaster to where it's like, Oh, he's, Kind of bad, but you know he's hitting well. To there was some of that earlier in the year, but I think he has been real solid uh, there. You know, not not elite, obviously by any stretch, but certainly not unplayable. And I it, that has that was always sort of weirdly. It was funny to me because I you know I seem to recall a guy who played for the Jays from you know oh nine to to twenty eighteen or whatever it was who played in right field, uh, who was not an elite defender either, had a great arm, but. Uh, but you know, there were a lot of, uh, weird routes and, uh, balls not tracked down as quickly as they could have been. Uh, and it didn't matter cause he could hit and that's sort of, that's, you know, obviously different players, but, uh, uh, different hitters, especially, but, uh, but the production is, is there for Teoscar, not at the same level, but he's, yeah, I think he absolutely can fit and, and can be a guy there. He could also DH a lot, uh, you know, once the Jays sort of clear out some of these guys uh, that are sort of more fringier uh, members of the roster, which you know, which is basically a long-winded way of saying, like, yeah, they should extend this guy. Uh, they will be able to find a place for him. Uh, and he's really fun and, and, and really good. And I think 
I don't think he gets appreciated also like just for like what a chill, cool dude he seems to be and humble and everything, you know, that they love about that sort of stuff too. Like anytime he's he uh he's interviewed, which is not enough, is uh you know, it's like, oh this this dude like this dude gets it. He seems he seems pretty uh like like a pretty good dude. Yeah, I, I did a feature story on him a couple of years ago about sort of the work he was putting in on the defensive side, talking to him and Budzinski and stuff, and when he ended up playing a little center field, which was an interesting shot, to be honest, on their part. Like, I, it was it's a got speed. yeah, it was yeah. it was a sort of thing, and they thought it might actually simplify it with the angles. Like, you're just like chase the ball, throw it to the cutoff man, basically, mm-hmm. uh, in center field. And it, it didn't quite work out. But I remember thinking in 2018, like, okay, this guy can hit a little bit, but he's, you know, slightly above average hitter, a disaster in the field, and is old enough that I'm not confident that he's going to find another step, uh, find another level. And he's he's found that other level. And it's okay that he's not a great defender. Like you said, like his bat is good enough that it vastly outweighs that. And every player on your team is not going to be a flawless player who's excellent in every facet of the game. Like, we want to have nine Mike Trouts on the field, but it's not going to work that way. Like, you have to take players for their strengths and weaknesses. We've talked about that with Bo Bichette. Like, he's not a great defender right now. He may never be, but he might be a long-term shortstop who is just, you know, giving you five runs back in the field every year at shortstop. But that's okay because of all the stuff he does with the bat, especially relative to his position. And Teoscar is the mm-hmm. same way. Like, yeah, if he was a great, great defender, maybe he could be that sort of five-win player. And he's and he's fast and he can throw, so you think maybe that's going to happen for him. It probably won't. Like, you just, you know, in terms of his instincts and stuff, like, it gets better, but there's only so much better it's going to get. He's probably going to be a player who hits really well and gives runs back in the field. But at the end of the day, that package is valuable. And I think the Blue Jays would be smart to lock them up over the long term and I wouldn't be shocked if they did it this offseason. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, lock them all up. Let's go. Let's uh let's just keep this team together forever. Um <laughs> it's going to be weird. The the offseason is going to be fascinating, I think. Uh I mean, extension-wise, he's definitely on the list. I would love we'd all love to see, you know, a Bichette or a Guerrero extension. Um but yeah, there there is uh there are a lot of opportunities for the team to be shaped slightly differently and slightly better, but I think that that would be hard to do it without him. If that's you know, I don't think that's the way that they should go. I think they should keep him. Uh, whereas maybe the other corner guy, uh, or you know, well, Grichuk is stuck. We're stuck with him at this rate, just based on his contract. I think, but you know, Guriel, I feel is a little more misshapen. I think we've talked about this, and and you know, Biggio, obviously. Uh, just sort of has to be lower down the list, but no, I mean, if you're talking about core guys to keep around, I think Teoscar, yeah, gets my seal of approval. Yeah, absolutely, he's on that list, and I think it's a more like I just don't necessarily see a Bichette or Guerrero extension coming down the pipe. Yeah. Although, you know, I'd love to see it with Vladdy. It's it's a little bit interesting because this year, if he had a mind to do something like that, it would be a good year to capitalize on. Um, so maybe if he thought, oh, I'd like, I do want the big extension, then this would be the year to maybe negotiate it. But I, I still, you know, those guys are far enough out that it's going to be hard to do. And they also, I mean, it's been talked out ad nauseum, but they, you know, it, it is a factor that background people come from, right? Like that's how Aussie Albies and Acuna Jr. ended up in their extensions because they getting that money in quickly was more valuable to them whereas Bichette and Grail grew up in these athlete families and whatnot and they yeah. can afford to bet on themselves in a different way 
it's just not a, it's not life changing like money right in front of you yeah absolutely well, before we uh wrap it here just looking at the weekend series ahead you got the seattle mariners um we've talked about the red sox being frauds on this podcast uh <laughs> the mariners are like red sox plus it's kind of in fact ridiculous the degree to which they've dominated these close games and I don't really understand it. Like normally in those cases where they don't, where a team dominates close games, it's sort of like the Orioles of old or whatever, where they have this incredible bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you, it's it's hard to do it with clutch hitting over a lengthy period of time, but with a with a bullpen, you can kind of get away with uh, being in these close games all the time. We see that with the Rays occasionally. But the Mariners don't. They don't have that incredible bullpen. Like it, <laughs> it, it does. Like it doesn't really make sense. They've just been sort of stupidly clutch. Which, I mean, every team would, every fan would love their team to just randomly wander in and be stupidly clutch. But it's just not the. Like I'm looking at it right now. The Mariners bullpen ERA is three ninety seven. The Blue Jays is three ninety two. So, like, as shitty as that's, the Blue Jays' bullpen... That's a little surprising, yeah. As shitty as the Blue Jays' bullpen has been at times, um, it's actually been more effective at keeping runs off the board than the Mariners, and yet the Blue Jays have been useless late and close, and the Mariners have been gods of that. Um, so that's kind of frustrating from the outside looking in. In terms of, like... Yeah. what It also makes you worry about the outcome of the, the weekend series, right? Yeah. Because the Blue Jays should beat this team quite easily, I feel, but that just hasn't been the case for the teams that the Mariners have faced this year. Yeah, I mean, whenever I look at this lineup, there's just nothing impressive about it. I'm curious in terms of, like, Jared Kalelnik is up, um, and he has not really done anything. He was he was sort of like the latest service time manipulation guy. This guy's ready, and I'm not jumping on the bandwagon of like they were right to keep him down because it was definitely bullshit but just because they weren't right to keep him down doesn't mean that he was gonna kill it at the major league level he hasn't the pitching is is interesting it's gonna be tough this weekend because kikuchi is legit um mm-hmm. he's really come around and becomes a top flight top rotation size starter and they're also gonna see logan gilbert who is a rookie who's been really effective as well so it's tough because when they when those guys when they roll out those best starters, the, the Mariners are potentially going to be in those low scoring games that for some reason they're comfortable in, and that's not where the Blue Jays want to be. So it's easy to look at the Mariners roster and think like, oh, this is two wins. Who knows? Maybe they can sweep them. I know they don't have the Blue Jays fans coming down the same way as they would have in previous years. That might have been helpful, but. The, yeah, the Mariners are an annoyance, but they wouldn't be an annoyance if they were just trash. Like, they're an annoyance because they seem <laughs> trash, but they're quasi-effective somehow. Yeah. And you're right, and the pitching is uh, is, is a problem. It's uh, it, it, I think it'll be an interesting series, obviously. Um, but it does feel like, you know, and I'm sure it's felt like that for every team that's played the Mariners this year, but it just feels like those are games there for the taking. Uh, and yet, I am not super confident about how that's all going to turn out. Yeah, I wonder if if you're a Mariners fan this weekend, are you thinking like, okay, this is our big chance, like we're going to leapfrog someone ahead of us in the wild card, or uh, are those hopes starting to slip? I guess, yeah, I don't know, if you're a Mariners fan, this is probably like a huge series, because you're like, if we get away ahead of the Blue Jays, that's one fewer team uh, that's in front of us. 
Yeah, I guess I guess so. I sort of like figured they were done after the weird trade deadline where they, you know, moved out talent and <laughs> didn't really seem to to believe in the team, which I think, you which know, is objectively fair. is probably right. 100% yeah. right. Yeah. But hard to hard to say to your players and your fans. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see how they do this weekend. It's going to be a little bit less fun than usual because of the influx of Blue Jays fans won't be there, but they'll be uh you know, with, with any luck, they can get out in some of those games and not deal with one-run outcomes and just get a few runs early in the game and uh, play those, those sort of comfortable wins that have some have come their way fairly frequently in the last few weeks. Maybe that's what we'll see. They've got guys who can do that. Yeah. They've got guys who can do that. So we will see you next week. Uh, appreciate you guys all tuning in, subscribing, downloading, and uh, we'll have a new Blue Days Happy Hour for you, not Friday the 13th edition, uh, in a week. <laughs>